everyone. Welcome to HR Works, brought to you by BLR. I'm your host, Steve Bruce. HR Works provides clear, relevant, actionable information on topics that matter to HR professionals. When you're armed with best practices, plus the knowledge to keep your organization in compliance, HR works. Given the current talent economy, many organizations are challenged to consistently attract and retain the right caliber of talent. BLR, with the kind sponsorship of Silk Road, has just completed a survey about several interesting aspects of recruiting today. To help us interpret some of the survey data, we've asked Alexandra Levitt to join us. She is the CEO of Inspiration at Work. She is a former nationally syndicated columnist for the Wall Street Journal and a current writer for the New York Times. She has authored several books, including the best-selling They Don't Teach Corporate in College, Success for Hire, and Blind Spots. Alexandra currently consults, writes, and explores leadership development and career and workplace trends on behalf of American Express, Deloitte, DeVry University, Intuit, and Silk Road. Alexandra, welcome to HR Works. Thank you so much. I'm so thrilled to be here. One of the interesting things our survey revealed is the amount of negotiation that organizations are doing with applicants. First of all, on compensation, the survey found that 87% of organizations were willing to negotiate salary and about 54% willing to negotiate incentive pay, and then 43% would negotiate a sign-on bonus. So do these data square with what you've found in the field? Yes, that's absolutely squaring with what I'm seeing in the field. You know, 10 years ago, this was a very different environment. I think even, and people would say, well, due to the the recession, but 10 years ago, I guess that was actually pre-recession or just a bit pre-recession, and you would still not really find employers to be that open to negotiating. You would have to be a really strong negotiator in order to make something happen when you were coming in, especially if you weren't at a particularly senior level. Whereas now, I think what we're seeing is that negotiation is expected and that you're absolutely almost required to ask and that employers are anticipating that there's going to be a little bit of wiggle room. So they're not going to come out with the posted salary at the maximum that they can give. There's going to be a little room to go up. And so I think what that tells everybody out there who's applying for jobs this year is you at least have to ask. The time to get more money is not later on when you're trying to prove why you've made a positive contribution to the business. It's now. When you're coming in, they really want you. They've gone through the interview process. They've already invested a lot in you. They're anticipating you coming on board. That's the time to try to get the money. And employers are showing that they are more amenable to that than they've ever been before. Yeah, I should have known this before. <laughs> That's good advice. <laughs> well, like I said, it's changed, though. It's changed a little bit. I, I think that 10 years ago and, and more, there were these salary bans, and it was pretty narrow what organizations could offer people. And sometimes their hands were tied. They might really want someone, but they were hiring them in at a certain level, at a certain pay grade, and there was no way to go up. Whereas now I think it's all become a lot more fluid, and that's good for the job seeker. Well, that's good advice. So benefits then, they're harder to negotiate, I think, because uh, many benefits are fixed. Nevertheless, the survey also found over a third of respondents willing to negotiate benefits. 
particularly uh, paid time off and hours of work. Have you found this to be true as well? Yes, uh, the flexibility element is definitely the area of benefits that is the most fluid. I would say that fixed benefits packages like retirement and health care, those are things, generally speaking, that are offered to all employees. There are contracts in place. There are systems that, that they have to adhere to. So there, there's not really a lot they can do in terms of customizing those, although, by the way, I anticipate seeing that change in the very, very near future. Uh, I've actually been talking with benefits professionals recently about the fact that we are going to have to really start thinking about how to customize those types of packages. But right now, I wouldn't say that's something that the majority of companies are doing. But the flexibility in the pay time off um, is something that I think you you see really does vary, not only uh, between different companies, but within the same company, depending on your department and depending, as you say, on the arrangement that you make when you're coming in. And I think just like salary, this is a great time to negotiate hours and to negotiate how much vacation time you're going to get because if you wait until later on, there's oftentimes not much that employers are going to be willing to do, whereas if something coming in, they're saying, well, we really want you, and yes, we think we can make three or four days um, in the office and one or two days um, at home. We, can, we think we can make that work. Or, you know, yes, you would like to, you have a really long commute, so you want to come in at 10 a.m. and stay till 6 or 7. Yeah, that's something that we think we can negotiate, but you want to ask up front. So it's nice to see in the survey that more and more employers are amenable to this. I still think this number is a little low, to be honest with you. I, I expected it to be a little bit higher than that, but it's, we have made progress. We've moved the needle at least from a few years ago, so any progress is good progress. So why is it, I wonder, that um, organizations are more willing to negotiate salary than uh, they are those benefits we talked about? Well, I think that that's just an easier thing to to give over because it does vary by person so much, uh, particularly when you look at benefits like health care and retirement. As we were saying, those are pretty universal uh, per um, every employee in the organization is going to get the same type of package. And so I, I think that while we are going to see that changing, that's one of the things I see evolving in the benefits space over the next five to ten years, we're not there yet. And so I think that just the processes and mechanisms for doing that are not in place. Whereas now, over the last 10 years, we've seen that salary negotiation is something that, that has become possible. And I think, generally speaking, employers want to show people coming in goodwill. So they want to do something for you. They want you to feel like you're coming in and they are doing things actively to show that they want you, other than just plainly offering you the job as is. And so I think that part of that goodwill gesture is the salary negotiation, where, as I said, there is a little bit more wiggle room than there was in the past. But benefits, um, including, I have to say, flex time for some organizations. Although that's the benefit where we do see uh, the most organizations being willing to negotiate, some of them can't because flex work is, is not allowed still in some organizations. Some organizations have put the kibosh on it completely and said that everybody has to be in the office from this hour to this hour. And uh, that's a little bit of a backlash that, to be honest, I don't think it's going to last. But what we're, where we are in 26, uh, 2017 is in a place where some organizations can't do that. And so if they can't negotiate any benefits whatsoever, including flex time, the, the thing they have to go to is the negotiation of salary because they've got to give the person coming in something to make them feel like they're really wanted and they're really desired. That's really helpful. 
Now, another aspect of recruiting that we're hearing a lot about is the increasing use of social media in the process. In the survey group, 31% found social media interaction with candidates somewhat important or very important, and for, but 42% said it was not important. So why is social media interaction with candidates beneficial? I think social media interaction with candidates is very beneficial because it does a couple things. First of all, social media makes it easy to disseminate what we call a really strong employer value proposition, which is a reason for being that you share with the world at large how your company operates, the vision that it has, the purpose of working there. Why does the organization exist and how does it benefit society and employees and all of the constituents? And when you have a strong employer value proposition, and you are able to communicate it effectively, then what you do is you allow a large population of job seekers and potential employees to evaluate that value proposition and say, you know what, this is a really good organization for me. It aligns really well with my personal values. And so I want to work there. So in other words, they're self-selecting in. And it makes your recruiting process a lot easier when you have people who are naturally a good fit for the culture of the organization apply. And so that's one thing I think social media is great at. It's great to communicate that message and to have people receive it and also to have a two-way dialogue with people about that message and about what they're offering. And social media allows that real-time two-way interaction where candidates can be listening to your messages, listening to the news you're putting out, and react to it. And you can develop a relationship with them based on your interactions in social media, whereas before we had social media, you would have to rely on someone applying, you would read their resume, they'd come in for an interview where you meet them for the first time, and you would have to get a lot of information going both ways in that one meeting in order to make an effective decision. And as we know, in-person interviewing is not the most objective process in the world. So any information that you can get about a person via social media in advance can help you make that more intelligent decision on both sides whether the employer wants the employee to come on board and whether the employee feels that the employer is a great place to work. This is very uh, helpful information, I think, for everybody that's listening. So more specifically, uh, exactly how do you recommend employers use social media to attract candidates, then encourage them to apply, and ultimately convince them to take the job? Well, I think one thing that we haven't talked about, uh, obviously the employer value proposition that we just mentioned is important, but one thing that I would like to point out that I think in general employers are not doing a great job at is customizing social media presence for the area, for the geographic location of particular recruits. And I think this is important because messages can get lost in translation. Sometimes recruits in a particular area have different needs and they have uh, different ways of communicating. So I think that realizing that if you are doing anything beyond communicating with a very select group in a very select area, you need to segment your communications. And so you need to have social media presence that may be completely different. And by the way, this also goes for uh, your career site, I believe, has to adhere to the same protocol. You have to be customizing your content according to the needs of your different audiences. And I think once you sit down and break down those audiences, and you can work with marketing to do that, I think you'll have a real good sense of what the requirements are in different areas, and you can start customizing your social media presence and your career site in order to, to fit the needs of those individuals.
This is great. Now, we've um, heard quite a bit about Zappos' new approach to recruiting, that they have basically abandoned traditional sources, and they're relying entirely on social media for their recruiting. Now, only 4% of our respondents indicated they might adopt that approach, but 20% said they're not sure. So I'm wondering, what's your take? Is this going to be more and more the preferred way to recruit? Well, it's really interesting that you should use Zappos as an example because Zappos has always been extremely cutting edge in all of their activities, even operationally. They were the first organization to pioneer the concept of the holacracy, where what that means essentially is that in Zappos there are no titles, that everybody is equal, and that it's a completely flat organization. So when they go out and try to do something, they do it big, and they do it differently. So it's not entirely surprising that they have completely abandoned traditional methods to move on to social recruiting. And what they did specifically, first of all, they started early, just like they do with everything. They're, they're very um, much at the forefront of using new technologies in order to improve operations. And so they actually started, on, I believe, on Twitter. And uh, when, a, when a lot of people in their target audience were using Twitter, they were hosting Twitter chats, and they were just really engaged in a two-way dialogue constantly with recruits. But what was interesting is a couple of years ago, they noticed that people were moving off Twitter, and not necessarily people in general, but their target audience was moving to Instagram. And what I, I actually give Zappos huge kudos for is recognizing that and doing it in real time. Instead of being two years behind their market, behind their candidates, they instantly were on Instagram. It was like right away. And in particular, their, uh, their internship site, which is at the internships, has been um, pretty popular. They've got all types of interesting content on there, which is the important thing about social media. You, you have to have things that people are actually going to want to look at and talk about. So they talk about day in the life of, of employees, what the culture's like, um, if you want to apply, what do you need to do, what are the dates you need to remember. And they've got photos of, of the interns. They spotlight them. So they use their social recruiting um, for two purposes. Yes, it's to interest potential candidates and potential interns in their programs, but it's also to make the people who are working there currently feel really good and feel really valued and important. And I think that if you do social recruiting right, you are able to accomplish both things. Um, there's a, another great example of that um, is Deloitte. Deloitte did a, a really interesting video series where they asked their current employees to submit a video that described why they loved working at Deloitte. And they used it um, on their social channels, um, especially the video channels, as a recruiting mechanism. And just like we're talking about with Zappos, that accomplished two things. It, yes, interested the potential candidates and the potential employees in what was going on at Deloitte, helped them see why this was a great place to work and allow them to self-select in, but it also was an engagement builder for the current employees. It built an experience. It activated the talent, as we like to say at Silk Road. And the people who participated in the videos completed a survey and said that their relationships within the organization were stronger than ever, and they felt more motivated than ever to continue making a difference at Deloitte. So those are two examples of social recruiting tactics that have not just been for the purpose of bringing new people in, but if done correctly, they can really engage the people you already have. So you're building some engagement as well. So um, yeah, exactly. let's, let's get at this from a, a different direction. You've got your employment brand, and you have your employee value proposition that you mentioned. 
And what's the best way to communicate that to your top prospects, candidates that will actually uh, have the effect of driving your business outcomes? Well, I think understanding what it is and having it be consistent is step number one. It sounds really simple, but believe it or not, an employer brand and employer value proposition is a relatively new concept in that it used to be that HR came up with whatever messaging it wanted and different HR departments within the same company, you know, if you had like a local HR person, might be doing something different in London, for example, than they would be in Chicago or in New York. And it, it, it would vary, and it would often be pretty cursory, pretty, pretty superfluous. So what we have seen happen recently is that the employer brand has become a lot more strategic. It's starting at the very, very top of an organization, and it is being um, something that is developed with help from the C-suite, with help from the corporate marketing department, and then only after it's pretty much in stone is it being slightly tweaked or slightly customized for different audiences. And so I think the very first thing those people listening should do is that they should actually take the cause of establishing an effective employer brand and employer or value proposition up to the highest levels of the organization to make sure this is not something that HR or one part of HR is developing in a vacuum. And then once you have that, I think going to marketing and getting their suggestions for what's the best way to get this out there, how do you guys share this message with your customers? Because in many cases, we're trying to create an experience for customers. We're actually trying to create a similar experience and share similar messaging with our potential employees. So there's going to be a lot of tactics that are going to be similar. And so what I would advise people is to not reinvent the wheel and not think you have to start everything from scratch. Marketing has been doing this for decades, and they are actually much further ahead in many cases on the social aspect because we started seeing marketing campaigns on social media back in 2004. So they've got almost a decade and a half of experience doing this. So go to them. What have they done to be successful? How have these messages resonated? How they tweak them over time in order to have a more powerful impact? And make sure you're connecting it back up through the main messages um, of the organization because that is the one thing with social recruiting. You don't want to go rogue. You don't want to just put stuff out there because it's easy to do so, but it's hard to take back <laughs> if you're saying the wrong thing. So making sure it has a real strategic purpose uh, is an important aspect here. Right. That's great. Um, now, one of the things we see in most surveys is that uh, referrals from current employees is the top source of new employees. So have you seen any particularly interesting or successful programs uh, regarding internal referrals? Well, I actually see um, most organizations doing this today. Um, employee referral is something that's always been appreciated. I think we've seen for a long time now that many employers are offering bonuses to current employees who bring in uh, people who, who end up coming in and staying on on board for you know a year, two years. I remember even working in an organization back in the early aughts where I received $2,000 for recommending someone who then ended up staying for a year. That, and when I was a very, very young professional, that was significant. So I think an employer program where I don't know of any specific examples that are, that are much better than others uh, because they, they all are pretty good now. I mean, I, I don't really know of any employers 
that don't offer some type of recognition for, for a referral. But just making sure, in, in terms of best practices, what you are going to offer, making it clear to employees um, that you're doing this. I think one thing that I do see a lot happening a lot is that employees are not aware of the benefits that they can get by making referrals. And sometimes it's also not easy for them to make referrals. So I think a mobile program where you can even just submit a recommendation directly from your phone um, to the recruiting department, making sure that employee referrals are followed up with in a timely manner is a really critical one. Uh, that's something that I, I think I've also seen employers fall down a little bit on. Is they, they solicit the referrals, they're willing to reward from the, with the referrals, but there are so many referrals that they get lost in the shuffle. Well, that's not going to build particularly goodwill with your employees. If they go through the trouble of submitting a referral, they tell their friend or a colleague about it, and then nothing happens. It doesn't make the employee look good, and when the employee doesn't look good, they don't feel good about you. So those are just some general best practices that, that I've seen um, that I'm aware of. But the good news here is that I, I don't really know of any that are spectacularly better than others because I think most employers are doing a pretty good job, at least in terms of offering the incentives. So it seems mostly about getting the basics right. Um, yes, let's move exactly. On. It's not rocket science. Yeah, so but, let's uh, uh, talk about career sites. I think most people agree that having a career site of some sort is important, but what are the characteristics of these sites that really attract top candidates? I think uh, that the means to have a two-way dialogue, to have something on the site where you can comment, where you can interact with people, uh, getting a very fast response, whether you are submitting an application or you are even just engaging in dialogue and making sure you hear from people in a quick manner. I mentioned before the importance of customizing these sites to the geography and the culture. I think even if you have one master site being able to drill down and get a microsite that's for a particular country or a particular region, I think is really important because, as we mentioned, there's some differences in the way content is perceived and uh, consumed within different cultures. So you want to make sure you are doing that. Um, I can't believe I mentioned this third, but it actually is probably the most important, and that's making sure your site is optimized for mobile. Believe it or not, um, many of our respondents, many people in general in the HR profession still don't have all their content optimized for mobile, but that is the way that most of us are getting our content, and it's the way most people are applying for jobs. So you want your site to be just as snazzy and just as easy to use in the mobile format as it is um, in, in the more traditional computing format. So those are just some, some top-line recommendations in terms of career site. Obviously, career sites are, are mandatory in this day and age, no matter what size of organization you have. And I would say that even if you don't have the money to have a site with a lot of bells and whistles, you at least want to be using your career site to communicate that employer value proposition and make sure that it is a clear and really strong reflection of your brand. And that is the most important thing, and being optimized for mobile. If you do those two things, then I think that you don't need to worry as much and that you can make gradual improvements over time based on communication with your audience, learning what's working for them and what isn't. You can use predictive analytics to assess where are your leads coming from. Like is, the, is the career site doing what it sets out to do? And the great thing about analytics is it allows us to answer those questions. Well, that's very helpful. Now, we talked about social media, internal referrals, career sites. Any other successful recruiting strategies you've seen? Any other successful? 
successful recruiting strategies that I have seen. One other thing that I would like to add is the importance of being out and about in your local community. Um, this wasn't in this particular survey, but I've read in, in other research that a lot of employers are still attracted to hiring people that are local to their geographic area, at least when those positions involve people working in an office in person. And so what I would recommend people don't forget about are local associations and local groups and developing relationships within your community, particularly with schools. This is a new thing that I see happening where sometimes there'll be a skills gap and an employer will be in a particular area and they can't find the talent that they need to fill the positions that are right in that town. And so one thing I see them doing is instead of saying, well, I guess we can't find the talent we need, we're, we're going to have to train people internally, they work with schools to develop curriculums particularly like local colleges, so that people come out and they are qualified to work at that organization because it's been a partnership in terms of development of the skills and develop, development of the curriculum. So that is, is an indirect recruiting strategy, but I think it really works because you get the exact targeted talent that you need and you have an automatic pipeline into the organization. And short of doing that, I think you can be out in the Chamber of Commerce, you can be out uh, with organizations that are in target industries that you're looking to hire from. Most uh, national organizations, third-party associations, have local chapters, at least in, in major cities, and by hooking up with them and getting involved, you can really meet a lot of qualified, wonderful candidates who you can then pluck from other organizations, and they're already living in the area, so you don't have to worry about re relocation expenses and them understanding how the business works in your area because they're already there. So it's low-hanging fruit that I think a lot of organizations don't really take advantage of as much as they could. Well, that's good advice. Now, one uh, thing that many HR pros wrestle with is measuring their success and then sharing it with management. So what metrics or measurements for a recruiting program do you recommend that can impress a C-suite? Well, one thing that I would recommend uh, that we do first and foremost is, is engage in analytics program because we have in, in recruitment a lot of the more traditional metrics, you know, cost per hire, you know, time to hire, um, time up to a full contribution. Um, but I think that increasingly when you say impress the C-suite, um, I don't know that those things do that anymore because that's old school. So I think an analytics program and uh, you know, Silk Road technology uh, it has a lot of analytics embedded in it that allow you to make really intelligent observations and gain intelligent insights about uh, your recruitment efforts, such as you know, what percentage of your new hires are coming from a certain geographic area, what, uh, what percentage of your best hires are coming in with this particular skill set, and being able to drill down really, really carefully in terms of where your recruiting efforts are paying the most dividends and where you perhaps need to focus. It can make the difference between having a really expensive, wide-reaching recruitment campaign and being very, very targeted and spending a lot less money, but realizing that the people that you're getting in through that method are m much more qualified, that they, uh, they stay much longer, they have much better retention, they go on to do great things in the organization. So these are things that you can use analytics programs to measure. And I think that uh, more and more HR departments are taking advantage of this, although, again, still not at a level where I think we could be, given the fact that this technology has now been available for a couple of years. This is all very helpful. To, uh, to sum it all up, 
Do you have any final tips for listeners who want to attract and hire A players for their teams? When it comes to uh, wanting to hire A players for your team, um, I would say to be flexible. That is the number one. And I'm not just talking about what we were discussing in the very beginning with hours and schedules. I would say be flexible in terms of the abilities of the candidate, the attributes of the candidate. One thing that I see happening with a lot of interview situations now is hiring managers are having sky-high expectations of candidates, and they are expecting candidates to come in checking every box, that everything they want in the job description, that person has to be perfectly suited to do right at this minute. And they don't realize that, you know what, if somebody is smart, if someone is capable, if someone is adaptable, then they'll be able to pick up some of those job-specific skills within a month or two of being onboarded. So be more flexible in terms of bringing people in with certain skill sets. There's no such thing as a perfect candidate. And by giving people a chance to really prove themselves and show, yes, uh, overall, I'm, I'm an intelligent person and I can master this, if they're enthusiastic, if they're a can-do candidate, then allow them to come in and do so. And try not to get so hung up on, I have to find the perfect person. Because for that reason, we see positions going unfilled for months, sometimes years on end. And what happens then is your existing employees end up doing the work. One person, the work of three or four people, they get burned out and they leave. And then you have completed the circle and need to recruit even more people. So try to be more flexible. Yes, of course, on the hours, of course, on the schedule, but also on what you are looking for when you check those boxes. Well, this is great. Alexandra, thanks so much for joining us today and providing these very helpful insights. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. Listeners, please let me know what HR Works should cover next. sbruce at blr.com. Thanks for listening. This is Steve Bruce for HR Works. The opinions expressed on HR Works do not represent legal or any other type of professional advice and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice from a qualified attorney licensed in your state.